0: This is Unmasked, the real face of the heroes. A six part podcast with dramatised interviews of frontline workers in one of the UK's largest NHS hospitals, St George's, in London. This is a unique insider's view of the human beings at the heart of the COVID 19 crisis. Episode 2
1: I met Toby in the bereavement office, staring at three sets of death certificates patients he had met for the first time and then said goodbye to that night. I am the guardian of safe working hours for doctors in training at George's, supporting pay and conditions, and this was definitely a moment to escape for a Diet Coke and a chat in the lobby of an empty lecture theatre. The junior doctors have thrown themselves into work, some fresh out of medical school, some were experiencing what can only be described as a state of culture shock. We're just starting to learn what soldiers have known for years. The concept of moral injury, the psychological trauma that comes from circumstances stopping you doing what you think is your best. All trusts are having to weigh up the effect of the pandemic on their staff. Rosemary, senior palliative care specialist nurse, was excited to be the teacher she had just been appointed to, and then COVID intervened. Project manager Dave was one of the army of volunteers and really wanted to help. I hope that telling their stories helped them in a small way. And I hope hearing them can help someone else too. May 13th, 2020.
2: Good food, doing lots of cooking. Good wine, good gin. What I've learned from working in palliative care for a long time is to try to park my day at work and not take it out with me. I've learned, probably the hard way, how to cope and deal with my job. Any healthcare professional has their whole career dealing with awful, awful times and some pretty horrific situations. There seems to be this awakening now of what we may actually face in our day-to-day role. If I'm perfectly honest, I think the use of the word hero and angel I really struggle with. I've worked here for the last seven years as a palliative care clinical nurse specialist. Then I got my dream job, and I started that on the 1st of March. Something I was working hard towards for the last few years. End of life education lead for the Trust. Then Covid happened. I was redeployed back into palliative care to support them.
3: So my day job is a project manager, nothing to do with ITU. But when the Trust put out volunteers, anybody, we need more admin support, I put my hands up and said, yeah, I'll do it. Um, on day one I can remember quite vividly I, I was really nervous and uh, I tried to blag it so I walked in and put on a brave face um, I think it was probably at the peak when ITU was really struggling and the nurses, great nurses didn't have any time to show me what they needed me to do so I effectively turned up was told sit there we'll come and give you some work but nothing else and I could see all these people running around me, struggling, doing quite difficult jobs. Death was quite high at this point and I wasn't able to help because nobody said what they needed me to do. So for the first few shifts it was effectively just go be there and kind of if something comes your way, grab it. And yes, that was my sort of introduction to COVID. I <laughs> uh, just 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 tried to be like an emotional support. I knew a few people from other work I've done in the Trust. Um, yeah, so it was uh, some people are called friends and others I've got to know. Uh, it was just more kind of checking in with them, asking how they're doing, when you could see people were down, just trying to put the metaphorical arm around them kind of thing.
4: So I was meant to be on call in the acute medical unit, which is where people go just after A&E. And I was sort of grabbed by one of the consultants first thing in the morning who said, we're going to Caroline Ward. Uh, and I didn't know where that was. Uh, That was one of the new COVID wards. And at that time, it was all suspected COVID, so people who were fairly likely but not certain to have it and awaiting test results, which were frustratingly slow at that point. So uh, we went on up and did the ward round and had to do all the jobs. There were some surgeons still seeing surgical patients who were stuck there at the time, which was quite scary. They were separated out, and we did our very best to keep them isolated from everything. It was worrying having a mix of people, but it was unavoidable because they just had to rush to do what they could. So there wasn't really time to think about it, and it was a very busy ward round, it was a very busy afternoon. And that was a Sunday, and for the whole of the rest of the week it was completely non-stop. My firm started covering Caroline, and for continuity I stayed there.
3: Um, but those first few shifts and for a week or so... I think everyone was going through this upheaval. When's this going to end? How's it going to work? So I think I came home and saw, sort question of questioned my girlfriend. I don't know what I'm doing there. But um, And then I asked the matron, and she said, no, we want you there. Every time I asked, she was like, no, we want, we want somebody there all night. And, and I think that view was they just needed a... Just in case, just in case a family member comes up, just in case the phone rings and nobody else is there to answer it. And that's... Not necessarily what I signed up for, but if that's what the trust needed from me, that's how I can help in this situation, then, yeah, of course I'll do it. Yeah, that was me at the reception desk on a desk in the corridor outside.
2: It seems like a very long time ago. It's a bit blurry, actually. But I remember when things were really ramping up, sort of, mid-March, I was supporting the palliative care team and trying to continue to support with education as well. But I was probably quite anxious most days I was at work. Had palpitations for many days. It was just so overwhelming, hearing the projections and the numbers we were expecting for people to not only get the disease, but to die from it, and all the implications from that. It felt quite surreal. We were kind of living in this separate universe from normal life when I spoke to my friends and family outside of it. So I found it really, really difficult. And I think that everybody was just really focused on the task in hand and getting on with it. And if you ask people whether they were okay, I was like, I'm not okay Why is nobody else finding this difficult? But then if you had extra time to speak to someone, then you find out that actually inside as well, they're going, oh my God, what the hell is going to happen to us?
4: It went from starting that morning, seeing sort of a couple of people being wheeled by who had been told perhaps had COVID to suddenly everyone has it. I'm in the thick of it and no one quite knows what to do. So, while there was all the usual adequate supervision and support given, what was new was that the nursing staff had overnight changed from surgical nurses to medical nurses, which uh, meant that they were asked to do different things and had different relationships with the doctors. They were very anxious. We had trouble with some services needing a lot of convincing to come to the ward, uh, because, understandably, they weren't sure what to do. They were a bit worried, and nobody really knew very much at that point, so... A lot of the first week was spent with uh, one of my colleagues trying to solve all these small practical problems together with the nurses. Uh, How will we take off our PPE before we go into the corridor? Where will we leave it? We had to tie a lot of bins to door handles and things. Uh, In a way, it was quite empowering to have problems that we could solve as quite junior people and try to make sure that things went all right.
2: And then I had a day off. (laughs) I was really looking forward to that. Then I felt really tired, but I didn't think anything of it. I just thought it was the build-up from the crazy week we'd had. And then the next day, my taste and smell went, and I was like, oh, flip, what does this mean? And as the weekend progressed, I just felt more and more unwell. I think I knew inside that this is probably COVID, but I was quite scared to even voice it. And then my boyfriend was like, you know, you think it could be. And I was like, it could be. I don't know. So I just became more and more unwell. And it was doubly scary time because it was happening to me. I found it that I had to disconnect from even watching the news because there were lots of scare stories out there about people, about how quickly they deteriorated. So all in all, I was off for three weeks and I was pretty floored. I'd say for one week I didn't really do much apart from sleep. I only ate probably because my boyfriend cooked me meals. So I missed the absolute peak of the pandemic at work. I knew from messaging friends everywhere that things were getting really tough really quickly, and people were having to find new ways to work, and that's a challenge during normal, whatever normal is now. I felt bad that I'd missed that.
4: We had a great deal of help from the nurses who were doing an amazing job. The nurse in charge was the receptionist, the nurse in charge, and the discharge coordinator all at once, while supporting a lot of nurses who were scared doing a job they weren't used to, and helping us solve all these problems. So we had a lot of great people working together, and it felt like there were lots of challenges. It felt like everyone kind of mucked in. So while being in some ways a a terrible week, it was in other ways quite a motivating week. We kind of ran it on adrenaline. We stayed really late every single evening because we couldn't get everything done. People kept being sick and we had great support from people checking in on us. I think the gastro registrars kept coming up every afternoon and seeing what they could do. Uh, We had infectious diseases registrars coming doing lots of normally junior jobs which was great so all the people that are normally kind of hard to get hold of, usually because they're hard at work doing something else, were swanning in. It, <laughs> swanning swanning doesn't sound quite right. Uh, aprons billowing in the wind. Um, no, uh, essentially, everyone who was normally busy doing other things turned up proactively and, and, and helped us, so that was good.
2: I came back to work on a phased return and seeing patients for the palliative care team in my role as a clinical nurse specialist triaging and holding the referral beep it can be quite stressful because you have colleagues on the other end of the phone looking for help and advice quite quickly and you can feel the urgency and the tension and their fear sometimes in their voices so it takes quite a few calming skills in myself not to get caught in and try to be able to think logically and rationally and take a step back obviously patient safety is key throughout all of this I've also been teaching on a course that's been pulled together quite quickly during COVID, which has been really exciting. Teaching talking to relatives, communicating bad news, which has been quite dynamic, fun, for want of a better word.
4: Sorry, I'm, I'm talking about the practical work. I got to know the patients very well. There was a real range of people because uh, a lot of them... Not all of them had been admitted for Covid. Some had come in for something else and they'd either got it in, in, in the community or unfortunately got it in hospital. They'd come in from a care home or rehabilitation centre where they'd had an outbreak. Uh, some people weren't very unwell. And some people were very sick and a lot of people died. Overall, uh, about a third of our admissions, I think, uh, in the hospital have died. So... I got to know one man who'd uh, come from the mental health hospital where they'd had an outbreak who wasn't very unwell with COVID but was very mentally unwell and very depressed, disorientated, uh, scared and had quite odd thoughts. And, yeah, it it wasn't that there was a complete barrier but obviously someone not being able to see your face is strange and he was not plugged into the world at all. He finds himself... at his most vulnerable in the middle of an outbreak where he's given far less attention than he needs from people dressed in bizarre outfits. He was the kind of person where you'd normally pop in throughout the day and say hello and make sure to have a long conversation about how they're doing. Early on, it was a bit frantic, and, and also we we felt that... I don't know. Uh, we, we, we found... We thought that we should probably minimise unnecessary... Oh, that sounds so sort of clinical and, and brutal of us but basically if we didn't need to do something that involved going and getting right face to face with someone because we were getting a lot of staff sickness we, we thought we should probably avoid it but then we did realise firstly we were able to cope with the workload uh, a bit better we could actually spend more time with people if they really needed it and, and, and we should we shouldn't treat people worse and they shouldn't get worse care just because there happens to be a pandemic
3: um, yeah, the people I've got to know really well are the porters and cleaners because they come past all night and obviously everyone's busy but, but, but I can ask them questions, how's it going and the, and the cleaners I think we've had a lot of agency working I think they're kind of a forgotten workforce sometimes, I noticed the nurses looking after each other, doctors look after each other but these agency cleaners we had in just seem to be a bit lost and um yeah, there were a couple that I started talking to, and one, she she was really worried. She had a cough. Yeah, she didn't know how to get a test, so I spoke to her manager and said, look, if she wants to go, this is what needs to happen. It was just nice to... Um, I feel I could be some use to these people, even though it was not kind of my core day job.
4: Communication. We had a lot of really good teaching in our practical exams, but obviously it's the PPE supply was not quite running smoothly. We were thinking, don't use unnecessary kit... It was one of the things that stopped us popping our head in and and stopping us having a chat. So you'd look through the window and you'd see someone just lying there, staring blankly at a wall, looking bored as anything, and and you'd feel rubbish. It was horrible. What I found most useful here was candour, just being very clear to somebody about what's not ideal and why, and that you understand what effect that has on them. So telling someone that you know that they're lonely and, and you're sorry, or... You know that they miss their family and they would love to be visited and just that you're really sorry about it. You're really sorry. I was just really blunt. I'm really sorry about the situation. I'm I'm sorry about this. I'm sorry that you can't talk to your mum. Later on, we got the iPad so that people could chat. I've been very lucky to live with my family, which has really helped. So I can go home and... I can talk to people easily whenever I want in evenings or on video chat. But these patients, if they're old and vulnerable, don't know how to use technology or they're confused or drowsy. Yeah, we could have made our own efforts with our phones if, uh, if, if we'd thought of it before this kicked off.
2: I think with the Covid patients in particular, we've seen sadly that they do deteriorate quite rapidly. And even more quickly than sometimes we might expect. I think what I'm hearing from staff is that it's been quite distressing that the person's been sitting up and being able to eat, being able to interact, voice their needs at the start of the day, and then sadly, within a few hours, they've deteriorated and died. So there hasn't really been much time to work out what was important to that person. Getting family in with the visiting restrictions. And it's hard trying to build that rapport in a time-pressured way not being able to do the things you would normally do. So you might pull up a chair, so you may sit down with someone rather than be standing up and standing at a distance. It's been difficult adjusting to the mask and goggles. I'm, I want to scratch my nose. I'm not knowing what to do with my hands. And I would normally reach out to the patient if it was appropriate and try and reassure them in some way. But I just couldn't. I just couldn't do that. But yeah, it's trying to get a sense that you've still done a good job with the constrictions that you're working within.
3: So uh, the relatives would phone and speak to me and initially it was just a case of taking the notes and passing it on to a doctor to to, to have a more difficult conversation. But it became harder after a while when you know, night after night you'd know the patients had deteriorated. So... I would never explain that that wasn't my place to explain it to family members but it was difficult knowing that you were speaking to somebody who was then going to find out some unfortunate news that their loved one had deteriorated and that's again not something my project manager's job has ever had to do I've dealt with patients but normally in interactive let's make the hospital better sense You know, not explaining difficult news or dealing with people that were obviously quite emotional themselves I had uh, repeat phone calls across multiple nights and you'd understand their concerns but you'd also give a message to a doctor and realise that they're dealing with a lot on their side so it was just playing that kind of middle role, trying to find that middle ground we kind of find ourselves now where most people are long term patients and the family members understand, we've got the Skype and iPads and things like that, so we found ways through it I just think it was awful for that you know, that peak or whatever we're calling it, when we didn't necessarily have the things in place and weren't able to offer the solutions we've got now.
4: The thing is, with all the COVID patients, nothing we were doing looked that different except for the gowns and stuff. The main difference was we couldn't do anything about it. So we were prepared for doing ward rounds and doing jobs and people being sick and nothing happened that was different to normal except for far more people died than you'd expect on the ward on a given week. And you spent far more time doing death certificates, more time talking to ICU outreach, uh, making decisions about people going to ICU and CPR and all that difficult, the, the whole of that difficult process of deciding what's best for someone.
2: I can see now that the adrenaline is just going a little bit you know people are really tired. They're exhausted. And where do you go from that? Because I think we're psyching ourselves up for the next, whatever the next surge will be and what all that means. I'm still feeling quite unsettled with all the uncertainty. You can't just take one thing as standard from last week. If I'm perfectly honest... If I had a choice, I'd love to stay at home. Be cocooned. We don't have definite things. I know it's very hard to have definite things at this time. (laughs) And in regards to the role I just started, how can I plan for the future when no-one knows? Where are we going to be at the end of next week, even? Never mind next month.
4: The concentration of death and thinking about death. The concentration of breaking bad news, none of it was new. It just all happened in such a concentrated way. That was the thing that was exhausting at the end of the day. I think everyone had come across death, had spoken to families, and had broken bad news, but it just happened. So much of it happened at once. I ended up doing a lot of death certificates and a lot of certifying death, so examining dead bodies and, and going to the morgue and, yeah, uh, yeah, in, in, in medical school, in anatomy classes, we'd, we'd seen a lot of dead bodies, but not people we'd alive and not people you'd formed a connection with, so, yeah, I think all doctors get used to that at some point, it's not anything unusual that we did, it just, m- more of it happened quicker, I don't mean used to it, I've learned to suppress it more effectively. Medical school seems so long ago. I'm 26, I qualified in August uh, this year, so, so so this is my first job.
3: I think people are a bit more optimistic now. For the first two weeks, it was like you know, saying, I'm you know, not a sprint, everybody was sprinting. And I remember the matron saying to me, we need to make a plan when everyone's going to go away on holiday as no-one's taking annual leave. I think, in her mind... Then it was this something we're going to get through and then we'll go back to normal? Whereas I think now people have come to terms with it, it's something we're going to have for a bit longer. But that's all right because we know what we're doing. Everyone comes in and knows what jobs they're going to do. Might be a different patient, might be an extra patient, but we know what we're doing. Um, now it feels like there's optimism. People are kind of falling into the routines. You know, arguing about rotors, things like that, rather than breaking down in tears.
2: <laughs> A good job for me would be knowing that I've done my best. Hopefully, that I've been thorough, picking up on anything in my assessment that has not been picked up before, supporting the staff around the patient, and talking to the ward nurse after, making sure they were clear with the plan, speaking to the leader of the team, making sure we're all on the same page with things. One partner of a patient reflected that he could see that everyone is doing as much as they could despite the horrible and stressful circumstances. He understood, and he could see that everyone was doing their best. Hopefully it was a positive experience that he felt supported. So being able to do that, even though it was quite a pressured environment, felt good.
3: The clapping. Yeah, well, there were one or two Thursdays where it did actually get me quite emotional Um, I'm I'm not normally an emotional person really but I think it was more um, people acknowledging something and I was going in and seeing people going down to the mortuary uh, it kind of I remember sitting out in the garden just having a bit of a cry it was good in a way to acknowledge that it's an emotional thing seeing a lot of people die it would be unnatural to kind of not get emotional and um, it was almost hearing your neighbours clapping and then something you'd seen last night been quite jarring for you. It just joined up some dots in my head, I suppose.
4: Oh, it's like like someone singing happy birthday or something. It's just always a bit awkward and you don't know what to do. Uh, One of my neighbours is a doctor, so I sort of clap at him and he always looks a bit embarrassed as well. I have my parents banging increasingly loud pots and pans as they work out what makes the most noise. It's nice to see neighbours and see how everyone's doing, um, but it feels odd to be clapped. But it's the front line as well. It it doesn't sit well, sit naturally with me. It sounds like someone's in a war. Individual doctors, it's not like we're being shot at.
2: The first time the clapping happened, I was quite moved. And I actually went out because it was really loud. And I filmed it. And I was like... Oh, that's quite nice. But, but I struggle with it now. I will admit, though, I have taken advantage of some freebies that have come my way. My sister entered me into a competition and I won some things, all because I'm an NHS worker, which I feel a bit... Uh, very grateful. But if you're not seeing patients all the time, what is my role?
3: Rosie is my pet's therapy dog. Um, and I bring her into, no, normally when there's no COVID, bring her into the hospital. Uh, we go on all sorts of wars. And we've recruited four or five more dogs now to do the same thing. Um, and the dogs go on any kind of war to be with old people, all the trauma and orthopaedics war. Just, I mean, just just by virtue of Rosie being quite small and manageable. Uh, um, yeah, I've kept taking her to the different ITU wars because patients seem to get a good reaction there, yeah. Can lift her up and hold her over and even if somebody's really not very well they can just have a kind of contact point there contact with an animal's like contact with the outside world it heightens mood things like that so yeah i've been getting to know people through doing that I really, I really enjoy it i just i just want to get back to doing those kinds of visits to itu and not, <laughs> and not be the ward clerk <laughs>
2: I made the mistake of looking back at my photos from last year and realised that I probably had a trip every second month. That was a huge coping mechanism for me. My family are in North West Ireland now, so that's home. Quite near the sea, Donegal, about half an hour from Derry. A little town so near the coast and you drive in any direction and you've got the wild Atlantic so I've got a little dog at home. So he gets run ragged when I'm home, taking him out and walks all the time. It's what my friends at home call vitamin C. The sea air and everything. It's really rejuvenating and everything restorative. And obviously seeing familiar people and places. So yeah, I don't know if I've got the coping through COVID thing down yet because I can't do my normal things. But having the support of my boyfriend is really helpful. And I jumped on the bandwagon with the Zoom quizzes. (laughs) We realised as a family we're maybe not as smart as we thought we were. So we had to dumb it down a little bit.
4: Uh, To relax, I play a lot of stringed instruments to a mediocre level in my bedroom. So I'll sit and play the banjo or something. Um, But I never got any good at anything.
3: Rosie, yeah, today she'll go to the dog walker because I'm hopefully getting some more sleep. I had a day last week and it was a nightmare because she just kept jumping on my bed to try and wake me up. She's not quite figured out night shifts yet. Um, I've found the conversations with colleagues have helped me. It's helped me kind of balance my mind, you know, in my mind what I've seen over the last couple of months.
2: When I'm at home, I try not to dwell too much on the day at work. I'm making the most of my free time. Because time is precious.
0: Unmasked is a Serena Hayward production. Wilf Scolding was Dr. Toby Webster. Lorraine Horgan was Rosemary Doherty. Matt Wilkinson was David Woodruff. With Tracy Ann Oberman as Dr. Serena Hayward. It was written by Serena Hayward and Joseph Lidster. It was directed by Neil J. Biden. Production assisted by Sarah Weatherall, Davy Biden-Oaks, Helena Copsey, Glenn Webb and Holly Connay, with original music by Franna Otter, in association with St. George's Charity and St. George's NHS Trust. Please support the NHS Charity and Actors Benevolent Fund on Just Giving. For more information, please visit unmasked.org.uk.